Everybody, welcome back to the Steadfast Podcast. This week, we're a little late getting this out as we're deciding we're going to put this on Wednesday evening uh, for release uh, going into this Christmas week as we celebrate the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, put on human flesh, dwelt among us, and lived a sacrificial death so that we could be forgiven and that we could have a relationship, personal relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are currently in our study chronologically going verse by verse through the scriptures. We are up to Job chapter 2 this week. And we're going to be straight Bible again this week uh, as we got a lot to cover. Um, we'll try to do a new, a new segment or, or topics that are uh, really going on that I... Uh, that interest me to, to talk about. Um, but this week we're going to leave that uh, for another time and we're going to go right into the Bible as we study the book of Job. So in chapter 2 of Job, remember when we left off, Job was upright before the Lord. He was uh, King James' word perfect. That doesn't mean he was perfect the way we understand it. We all have fallen short, but he was uh, he, he was a righteous person. He sought the Lord and he, and he did right things. And Satan, we've got to look behind the behind the scenes as Satan is talking to God behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. And he says, of course, God, um, all, all you ever do is bless Job. So, of course, he loves you. If, if you if you stop blessing him, take away all these things, take all the way, all his blessings you give him certainly will curse you to your face. God, he only loves you because of the things you do for him. Bribe him. He, he doesn't want you just for who you are. He wants what you can give to him. So God said, okay, go ahead. Come upon him. Just don't touch him, his, his personal being. Don't touch his body. Don't touch him. But you can do whatever you want against him. And he does. He brings the hammer down. And he loses what many of us would say he lost everything. His family, his kids are killed. He loses all his wealth, which was his livestock and everything that was going on. But yet, in all of that, he's in mourning, no doubt. In all of that, he still worshiped God. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshiped him. Because God is worthy of worship, whether he gives us something or not. Well, let's dig in to see what's going to happen here in chapter 2, because he doesn't give up. Chapter 2 of Job. It says again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said unto Satan, where are you coming from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, just like he did before, says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity. Although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. 
God makes it very clear here that his allowance of Satan coming against him that we read in the last chapter has nothing to do with Job. It was without cause, God says. God says what was happening to Job wasn't because of anything he did. Although it is true that God does chasten us when we need to be chastened. But that's not the case with Job here. Sometimes things just happen without cause. And we here on earth have the question, why God sometimes? Why do you allow this to happen? Why? What is going on here? Have I done something? Well, it just might be without cause. And we don't understand that there are things happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of. We're aware of this because we get it in the scripture. Job had no clue. God says to Satan, your first plan, it failed. It proved out Job. God is proud of Job. And his example of teaching the angels and teaching us today. Verse 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yet all that a man has will he give for his life. So Satan, he understands that one of the strongest poles of man is a, is a self-preservation, wanting to stay alive, to protect herself. So he's saying, he, uh, Job, Job will definitely curse you for that if you let me actually touch him. Because man is typically selfish and typically about himself and, and, and wants to feel good. So let me touch him. Well, verse 5 says, but... But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And he will curse you to your face, Satan says. He's going to do that if you let me do it. Well, the Lord said, Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Go ahead and touch him. Do what you want, but don't take his life. Save his life. So Satan doesn't give up. He thinks that, that everyone has a line that if they suffer enough, that, that that it crosses a line and they'll certainly give up on God. Like uh, any of you that might have watched the WWF wrestling growing up, there was this character named the Million Dollar Man. And he would say, everyone has a price. That's what Satan's doing here. That is Satan's thoughts. But Job is not a normal man here. He is a man that desires to serve God in righteousness. Later on, and unto this day, what Satan is, is uh, saying here is absolutely true about many people. Okay, we'll see it in the scripture as we go on. And we see it in our own lifetime. That self-preservation and lines being crossed. I mean, Abraham. Abraham in preparation... Um, to save himself, he, he he thought if he lied about his wife, it would save himself. Abraham did that. David, in his sin with Bathsheba, did things to try to save himself. Self-preservation. Peter denied the Lord three times to try to save himself. In fact, about Peter, Jesus said, uh, hey, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But, Peter, Jesus says, I prayed for you. So Satan knows that this works on people 
And we're going to see him work on people throughout the years and it continues to work now. But Satan can only do what God allows him to do to anyone. He doesn't have free reign. But his plan here, what he thinks is going to work with Job, has a good track record of working for him. But here's the thing. God knows Job. He's confident in Job. He was putting himself on the line, really. God was saying, go ahead. I'm going to teach everybody a lesson on this. Of course, God knows what's going to happen. He knows past, present, and future. And God said uh, in the last chapter, he said, do what you want, but don't touch him. Now God God says, okay, now you can touch him. Just don't kill him. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job. Hit him hard with sore boils on the sole of his foot unto his crown from head to toe. And he took him a potsherd. This is a clay pot, broken pottery here. To scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. This is not just one boil. I haven't experienced this, but I know people who have experienced this, and it's not fun to have a boil. But this isn't just one boil. This is a boil all over his body. He's got it everywhere. Excruciating pain. It it, it stinks. You you, you don't um, you feel gross. Um, you you look horrible. And plus, what's going to end up happening is he's he's he loses all his friends, but nobody wants to be around him. We see him in this state. He's going to be an outcast now. Everyone is going to turn on him. Well, at least he has his wife, though. His wife's still alive, right? So hopefully she would be a comfort, you would think. And we'll see that very shortly here. But here's Job. He's sitting in the midst of ashes. You guys know what that is? They would find the ashes there. It would get the town dump at the trash place. This is where he's at. Hanging out all alone, the town dump. He finds a tiny bit of comfort in a broken piece of pottery he's using to scratch his sores, probably because he itched so much. But the pain's still there. Yet, he still is not cursing God. Verse 9. And here's the wife that comes into play. Then said his wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job's response to his wife says, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. So now Job's wife, you got to realize, even though she's saying this, we could come hard down upon him, but Job wasn't the only one who lost kids here. She lost her kids. A mother losing her kids. That's a big deal. And she lost her livelihood. Things have totally changed for her as well. So she was in a rough spot. 
So we, I don't think we should come down too hard on her here. But she indeed, like Job was saying, she was speaking like a foolish woman. Job was right there. He wasn't saying she was foolish. He had some tack here, the way he was talking to her. He wasn't saying you're foolish, but he's saying you're speaking just like the foolish do. Maybe Job is saying you're, you're speaking out of character here. This isn't like you. What's going on? Maybe that's the case. We don't know. But what we do know is Job's wife is trying to get him to curse God, which is the very thing that Satan is trying to get her to do, to get him to do. But nevertheless, as Job is going through these challenges, now, as hard as things have been, he doesn't even have the support of his wife anymore. And that's a big deal. When you have someone beside you, a wife, a spouse, you can go through a lot more things than if you don't. To have that encouragement, that one beside you. Job here has lost almost everything, earthly speaking. What Job needs right now is a supportive wife. And, and if you're a wife out there um, listening, it's one of the things you need to know about men. Is that one of the top things your husband is looking for is support and encouragement. When he doesn't have that. Immediately, his countenance changes, changes quickly. And Job here, on top of all the things that are happening to him, in extreme pain, and his wife is not supporting his faith unto God. So he's brokenhearted as well. Now, Job's wife, of course, she's thinking in the moment. Okay, this is what's happening right here in the moment. Whatever it takes to get out of your suffering, do it. Many actually take that path in life. I'm hurting. And whatever it takes not to hurt, I'm going to do it. Uh, I can mask it for a little bit with, with some substance. Pop a pill or alcohol. Marijuana. Or I can uh, mask it for a while and, and, and distract this distraction, this relationship over here. But to sell your soul for temporary relief never makes any sense. It was indeed foolish. But it's the mindset of many. It's, it's the mindset of many people in this world. They speak as the foolish woman. They speak as the foolish man. They live in the moment. Now, unbelievers... They don't live with a, an internal perspective like, like believers, at least we should be. But they live in the moment. C.S. Lewis would say this. Why do the righteous suffer? Why not? Only the righteous can handle it. You guys understand that? Again, I'll read what C.S. Lewis said. He said, why do the righteous suffer? Why not? Only the righteous can handle it. The truth is, everyone will have suffering in this life. Life has parts that really stink. But here's the thing. 
when you suffer as a Christian, you have quite the advantage. Because you don't have to go through it alone. God is right there with you. And he gives you that comfort and that guidance as we trust in him more and more every day. He'll give you what's called a peace that passes all understanding. That's a process. But the more we trust him, the more peace we're going to have in our life. When people teach that your circumstances, no matter what you, what happened, your circumstances are caused by sin, that's bad teaching. And it's bad understanding. That bad things happen to bad people. And good things happen to good people. Many believe that. The book of Job totally disproves that. And again, we don't know what is happening behind the scenes. We do in this case with Job, but in our lives, we don't know. And suffering doesn't mean you have sinned. If you have sinned, then it may be the consequences of your sin. There is consequences to our sin. But you, if, you've, if you haven't sinned and you don't know, hey, what's going on? I don't understand this. Suffering can still take place. And in these sufferings, we can see them as opportunities. You really can. They're opportunities to strengthen your faith and trust more and more in the Lord. Not that we want sufferings, but when they do take place, the Lord is doing something. We might not understand it, but we need to trust. Verse 11. Now the friends come into play. Job's friends. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar. That the They had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they tore everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So here comes the friends. They've heard what's coming and going on. And they come to see what's happening to Job. And they didn't even recognize him because all the boils all over him and, and the pain and the, and the sad condition he was in. Now, they could have tried to prepare themselves. Maybe you've been there. You know when you show up, this isn't going to be a pretty scene. Something's not going to be right. And you could try to prepare yourselves for that, for what you're about to see. But as soon as these friends walked in, Immediately, they saw their friend and they broke down and wept. Now, these friends, as we see, we go on. We're going to get to the point where we might say, hey, we don't, we don't, these don't seem like very good friends. But at the start, these are tremendous friends. They're great friends. And they're going to start out well. But as they continue going. It's going to be a struggle, as we'll see, but it started out very well. Verse 13 says, so here's what the friends do. See how well they start out here? They says, they sat down with him upon the ground. How long? Seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word unto Job. But they saw that his grief was very great. 
Now, on one hand, the friends were speechless. And they just sat with Job for seven days. Picture this. These, these friends are, this is pretty remarkable friends. These men, and they had, these were men of means, okay? These weren't poor people. They were men of means and wisdom. And what are they doing? They're sitting in the dump. Among the ashes with Job for seven days without saying a word. This is pretty remarkable. Seven days was the um, tradition t tells us. Uh, um, well, seven days is a period of mourning. And tradition tells us you, could, you couldn't break that silence in that time of mourning until the person was ready to speak. So until Job was ready to speak, they couldn't break that. And these friends indeed just been quiet in the dump with him. Now, these friends are going to say some things that, that simply aren't right, and that's coming up. But we have to give them credit here, showing that they are indeed his friends. But, like many people, they can only understand things from an earthly perspective. They're not understanding what's behind the scenes. And at first here, they're just quiet. Pretty wise decision as a friend. If somebody's going through something, if you just come and to your friend who's going through something, say, hey, everything's going to be all right. God's got this. Right? Seek God. When somebody's hurting, that, 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 that might not be the most comfortable thing. If the individual is a believer that's, that's going through this, they already understand that. They understand that, that, that God is good and that there's a plan. But they're still hurting. Sometimes the best thing we can do for someone, just show up. Like these friends, just be available. And just sitting there with them for seven days, this is going to be the wisest thing Job's friends do throughout this whole conversation. And the back and forth Hebrew poetry we're going to read. When they start to open their mouths, then the problems start. And that, that, that's what happens with us. We'll come back with chapter three in our next segment. Job chapter three. So now we're going to get into the Hebrew poetry part where there's a back and forth. Verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. What's his day? His birthday. Job cursed the day that he was born. But he, not God. Didn't curse God, but he cursed the day he was born. Job here. He's wishing he could erase the day he came into life due to his circumstances. That's why. Now, we all have days, not necessarily like Job. I don't think any of us have gone through what Job has. But we all have those days we wish we, we wouldn't have had. We've had thoughts, if I, if I could only go back, right? If I could only have done things differently. 
But just like Job, you can't wish away that day. And Job's going to say, I wish I wasn't born, but you can't wish away that. And many of us actually dwell on the past. But just like Job knows, we can't change the past. So there's, no, there's not really any point torturing yourself by living there. Job's, Job's kind of doing that here. The phrase I've heard a lot over the last few years in Maine, where we live here, is people like to say the phrase, it is what it is. You can't go back and change it. It is what it is. The idea is there's nothing I can do about it. There are things that we can't can't do anything about. We can have some say over actions in the future, though. So therefore, that's where our focus should be. Don't dwell on the past. If you're a believer, be kingdom-minded people. Focused on the eternal. If you're not a believer, I encourage you to get saved. And Jesus will change your life where you can have that peace in your life and eternity with him in heaven. Verse 2 here. Job says, I curse the day that I was born. Job spoke. Verse 2. He said, let the day perish wherein I was born. And the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their mourning. That's a King James word there, mourning. But the actual translation in the language is Leviathan, that raise up Leviathan. Um, so what this is speaking of, uh, the, the actual little word there is uh, dragon. Okay, Some translate it as uh, Leviathan, which indeed was the dragon. But what Job is saying, he says, let those that practice sorcery, all these evil, the, 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 the enchanters, let them do their thing. Um, whether he believed in them or not, he's saying, if that could only happen and, and do their thing, and that I didn't exist, that would be good. This whole dragon thing, Leviathan thing here, I, I believe there, there's really a creature called Leviathan. And we'll talk about that more as we go through the book of Job and go through uh, other scriptures that speak of it. But the, the culture saying of the day to raise up the dragon, um, that, that's part of the culture's um, sayings that they would say. And um, he would come to the point where he doesn't exist. That's what he wants. Job's saying, if that could only take place, these enchanters, these people that do these evil arts did something, and I, and I wouldn't exist here. Now, Job here, he's not really calling on sorcery. That's not what he's doing. Remember, what is this? This is Hebrew poetry. And where there's Hebrew poetry, there may be some exaggerations in the language in the poetry. So Job doesn't necessarily believe in sorcery. He's just saying, if there are those that do this thing, it would be better if they 
do the thing and that he doesn't exist if it could only happen. Because he's in this miserable state. Verse 9 says, let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. Because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? So the point is, uh, what was the point of my life? If my life ends up like this, what, what, what? Why did I even exist? What was the point of it? And everybody has to answer that question. What's the point of life? Why are we here? What is the purpose for my existence? Do you even have a purpose in your life? I can answer that for you. Outside of Jesus Christ, you don't have a purpose. Everything we do outside of Jesus Christ, has an emptiness to it, a lack of hope. It's vanity. And that's why this world is full of depressed people, and rightly so. Without Jesus, you should be depressed. If you don't know why you're here, if you don't know what's the purpose of your life, you should be depressed. If this life is all that there is, then what would be the point, you might say? If this is all there is, we might as well seek as much pleasure as we can, right? Get out as much as we can, drink and eat and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the way we should be living. If this is all there is. And like Job speaking here, many are thinking this way. What is even the point of even coming into this world? Many have those thoughts, especially around this time we're recording this message at Christmas time. Many a depressed people this time of year. If you're one that's listening and, and you say, yeah, that's me. Pay attention. Let me be very clear. Hope changes that whole thing. Hope changes that. And Jesus Christ is that hope. Belief in God leads to eternity of peace and a joy. And it gives us a reason to live. And, 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 and it gives us the knowledge that this life is just fleeting. And our bodies are, are, are just on this earth for a short period of time. But that's not the end. But while we are here, we should be making our bodies a living sacrifice unto God, the one that will save us, the one that will give us eternal life. The one that gives us a love that's way beyond measure. And that's what we all want is love. And there's no love that matches up to the love of God. Being a Christian, it doesn't stop us from pursuing happiness. Some think, oh, uh, all right, I got to give up this, give up this, give us this to be a Christian. Well, that's going to be boring. I won't be happy. I'll be miserable. Not at all. Being a Christian doesn't stop us from pursuing happiness. I would suggest even this. You get more happiness in the Christian walk. And that's not a suggestion. That's a guarantee. 
in the Christian walk, it would still be a go and be married for tomorrow we die, not drink and be married. Don't don't do stupid stuff, but you can still get to be married. Or tomorrow we die, but but the dying is something we actually look forward to. Okay? It's not something we choose, it's on God's timing, but being married is the joy of the Lord, and tomorrow we die is only physical. And it's something we look forward to having a future glory with the Lord where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. This is how Job feels at this point, though. Verse 12, he says, Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? Or now should I have have lain in and been quiet? I should have slept then had I been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves. Or with princes that had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or as a hidden untimely birth, I had not been. As infants which never saw light. In the words, dying at birth. He says, verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. Hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Job is in so much pain here, he sees death as the only escape. But he does have the knowledge, rightly so, though, and I want everybody to understand that, like Job, all of us should understand that suicide is never the answer. In fact, it's not even an option. And definitely not an option for a believer. And it's definitely not an option for an unbeliever because there is hope that you can have. So it's never an option. Because there is a false notion that killing the body kills the pain. That's not true. And Job uh, is saying some falsehoods here. When you kill the body, what are you doing? You're trying to kill something that has nothing to do with your situation. It's not your body. And it does not end the pain. The unbelievers in the afterlife, those that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the afterlife, have more pain than their worst day ever on this earth. Way more pain. It doesn't even compare to any day upon this earth. Pain can often make you say and think things that are not true at all. And that's what Job was doing here. Job here is saying many things out of pain and suffering. That's what he's speaking. And pain and suffering can make you say things that just simply aren't true. He's saying things about life after death that he knows nothing about. What Job says on life after death here is it's not reality. It's not biblical. And he does not have the Bible like we do. And he does not understand what's happening behind the scenes. But Job is saying things out of despair. And out of despair, he's saying things that aren't spiritually true. Life after death is nothing like what Job has spoken of here. Now, God will later say in this very book, who is this that is giving counsel without knowledge? Okay. All the, all the friends here and, and Job, as far as the afterlife, they do not understand. They don't have knowledge on what is correct. In other words, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. He's going to say to them. 
the wicked in death here? It says, uh, verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling. That's not what the Bible speaks of. That's him speaking in his distress. The wicked in death do not cease from trouble. The wicked in death do not, they don't find rest. Hermeneutics tells us, um, it's a biblical word, hermeneutics, but basically it tells us that anything we, we study, it's got to be context, context, context. What's the context of the passage? The context here is who is speaking and what condition is he in when he's speaking? And what is this passage talking about in the whole of the passage? And we got to come here and this is not, we don't take Job's word as doctrine here. It's accurate in what was what he said, but it's not doctrine. You guys want to know something interesting? If you asked and even many believers, this question, and the question is, is everything in the Bible true? Many would say, yes, of course, everything in the Bible is true. If you're, many believers would anyways. But actually, everything in the Bible is not true. There are many lies in the Bible. The record of the Bible is 100% accurate. What we got is 100% accurate. It is without error. I believe that. But there are things that real Bible characters said that simply weren't true. And the Bible accurately records their untruths in the context that they spoke in. There have been uh, religious organizations that have taken passages out of different contexts. And one of it is this context due to not following hermeneutics. Due to not following the context, context, context. Back to Seventh-day Advent. Take this thing and, and, they, and out of this passage, they have this thing called soul sleep. Out of this context. But that's not what this is speaking of. The Bible doesn't speak of soul sleep. The Bible speaks as soon as you die, if you're a believer, absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. What Job is saying here is not true. He's saying it out of despair. It's recorded accurately of what he's saying, but it's not true. You, there's no such thing as soul sleep. You don't wait in the grave waiting for the resurrection in some kind of soul sleep. Now, Job, of course, he doesn't have the scripture on afterlife like we do. I mean, even the Old Testament scripture on the afterlife does not give us as much light as we get in the New Testament. The New Testament really makes it clear on what the afterlife looks like. So Job here, there's no doubt he's speaking of what he thought, but it's not biblically correct. And God will correct them, you'll see, before the book is over. So, verse 20 here. Job continues his rant, says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, life under the bitter in soul? which long for death, but in co it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God has hedged in? So Job acknowledges about being hedged in, and we knew that uh, in the first chapter. He was and Satan said, you have a hedge upon him, and he's protected. You're not letting me in. Now Job's saying I'm being hedged in. 
So what Job is saying is, what is going on here right now is hidden from me. I don't understand it. Why, and God, why do you, why do you allow me to keep on going in misery when I have no clue what's going on? Job is saying, why have you hedged me in? In other words, God, you have some kind of protection over me that has not allowed me to die. You've stopped me from dying. You've hedged me in. Now, of course, again, suicide is not an option for a believer. It is not a decision we get to make. Now, let me do say this, though. If you know someone that is that was a believer and did commit to suicide, it's not the not an option for us, and it's not the path we should head down. I, I I don't believe it's the unforgivable sin. There's only one that's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to not receive Jesus as Savior. But it is not what God would ever have anyone do. I mean, several believers come to the point of pain in scriptures where they say, hey, Lord, take me home. We see that over and over from many believers. But they know that the timing is not ours to make, rather God's timing. God wants us to choose life and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Job here, he understands correctly that he can't take his own life because life belongs to God. He said, if only this could happen. But you, you, you've stopped me from dying. You haven't allowed me to die. You've hedged me in. You've kept me alive. Verse 24. It says, for my sighing comes before I eat. And my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Again, Job doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes like we do. And I believe Job's greatest pain here. He's in great physical pain, no doubt. I think his greatest pain is not what he's actually going through, but that he's his greatest pain is not understanding the reason why. Because you and I both know if we understand why we're going through something, it often makes things much easier. It's Job's greatest pain. Why God? If he gave us the answer, though, to everything that we want to know, then how is there any faith in our lives? We wouldn't be able to exercise our faith and trust if we knew the answer to everything. It's when we don't understand what's going on, that is where faith comes in. And pain and suffering are often tools to strengthen our faith and character. You see this? God has, uh, he's got big plans for you and I, every single one of us. And at the end of Job's story, we will find out things are going to be better than ever. They're going to be great. And whatever you're going through, know this. If you give Jesus your life, the same deal for your story. So don't be coming down on your story because of your certain circumstance. Learn to trust that when you come to the end of your story, which really, if for the believer, it's only the beginning as you enter into heaven, right? 
But understand that God's purpose will be accomplished in your life for good. There's a purpose for all of it. And I believe Job's, what he feared here is, is losing that connection to God. Because he desires God's favor. The thing he greatly feared has come upon him. He's not sensing God's favor. And it's because of his circumstances he's not sensing it. But the truth is for Job, the truth is for you, no matter what your circumstance is, the truth is God loves you. God loves Job. And in fact, in Job's situation, he is so proud of him. He's so proud of him that he actually told Satan, hey, consider him. Consider him. You're looking to who you may devour. Consider Job. Because he, he knew that Job would stay faithful. And he God is using Job to teach the angels, including Satan, a lesson. As all is heaven is watching this. And are amazed. And he's doing the same thing today. Teaching lessons. Building this kingdom. Growing. Doing different things that we don't understand. So there may be things we don't understand. But we should go by what we do know. And what we do know is we can, as believers, keep trusting the Lord. And he is doing something magnificent. Look, if you have, if you bought into the, the faith and prosperity movement, which you see often um, on television, if you if you've got some kind of Christian channel, a lot of them have this faith and prosperity movement. Know that the uh, the book of Job disproves it. What is the faith and prosperity movement? It's a movement to say that if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. If you're sick, it's because you did something wrong or, or you didn't have enough faith. Or if you don't have enough money in your life, it's because you didn't have enough faith. It's because God's favor is not upon you. That is not biblical. Know this, that everyone that's in that faith and prosperity movement, they die. And most of them will die going through some kind of pain or suffering. Just like the rest of us. So it's very clear from the book of Job, your condition can be because of sin. But it, often there are times where things have nothing to do with their sin, but it's rather, it's, it's this fact that we live in this fallen world, the sin nature of this world. And there's consequences of things in this world. And sometimes God wants us to go through something. And there are answers behind the scenes, but we don't understand them all the time. All right, we're going to come back with one more segment and cover the next two chapters. Job chapter 4. So these friends are now going to speak. And these friends that speak at the beginning, we know that they're older. Uh, later passages will make that clear, more clear. But these are, these are people that have been around a while, um, have some wisdom. And by human standards, they're considered really wise people, actually. So let's dig into chapter 4. And Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, answered and said, If we essay to commune with you, will you be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? 
So it, it appears that Eliphaz, Eliphaz has taken it a little easy to start. He says, uh, Job, you may be angry with some things I'm going to say, but, but after what you just said, I have to say some things. I just got to get it out. Okay? I hope you're not angry, but I got to say something. Eliphaz feels like he needs to defend God here. We never need to defend God, by the way. But Eliphaz is going to say his piece. Verse 3. Hold. Job, listen up. You have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upholded him that was failing, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now there's a come upon you, and you faint. It touches you, and you are troubled. Now remember, in the last chapter, Job just went on his big old rant, okay? So Elabaz is thinking, somebody who rants like that had to have done something. Because he, he's speaking as one that has a guilty conscience here. So he's thinking that as Elabaz is bringing his, his counsel. And he's saying, hey, Job, you had answers. And you gave advice to others. You, you're always giving advice. But when you have your own problems, and now you're in need, you have no counsel for yourself, listen to your own counsel. You can dish it out, but you can't take it, Job. That's what he's saying here. He's laying it upon him. He's not right, but he's laying it upon him. Verse 6. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope? And the uprightness of your ways. Remember, I pray you, whoever perished, being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Eliphaz is saying, Job, the reason you're in your condition, you're in it because there is sin in your life. That's why. Because certainly nobody's ever heard of the innocent suffering. Really? I mean, Job is an old book, but I'm pretty sure Abel suffered under Cain, and he, he didn't do anything worthy of that. Um, Joseph, he, he suffered by his brothers. Uh, in the time of, um, there, were, there, there were babies sown in the Nile, right? Uh, you have Herod, speaking of Christmas, went around trying to kill all the babies. Today, we have abortion. They're suffering, and they didn't do anything to deserve that. We see innocent people today, they suffer all the time. And they did in that day as well, so that's not truth what he's speaking. But that's their understanding. This was their understanding, and it's actually many people's understanding today as well. The psalmist Asaph, he, he struggled with the opposite. His trouble was in, um, was why do the wicked prosper? And he struggled with the wicked prospering until he walked into the house of God. And then his whole perspective changed. Because when he walked in the house of God, he remembered their end. And that's what happens. When you have an eternal perspective, our outlook can change tremendously. So look, if, if you have sin in your life as a believer, know this. God will let you know that it's sin. 
Because if you truly are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to convict you. He's saying here, you can't be innocent, Job, if you're perishing, you're dying here. Look at, look at your state. There's no way you can be innocent. But that's not biblical. But that, of course, is what many people have thought through the years. The truth is being innocent, and this isn't perfect, so I was saying that being innocent does not stop us from occurring bad things in our lives. In fact, you cannot live in this world without dealing with the consequences of the fall of mankind. After the Garden of Eden, right? We live in this world. This is not heaven. This is earth, a fallen world. Because of that, things are going on in your life that, that can be miserable. But it does not mean God is punishing you for something. Now, if you know the reason something is happening, that's different. That's called cause and effect. If you do something wrong, you will indeed suffer the consequences. But if you're innocent in your situation, it does not mean God is punishing you for something. Things just happen. And again, sometimes in a way that you have no clue why it's happening. And there's, there's stuff happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Now, of course, there is a principle of reap and sow. That is a biblical principle. But not all bad things that happen are due to that principle. If that was the case, we would all end up in hell. I mean, all of us have fallen short. When it comes to righteousness, following that principle, we would all go to hell. And that is true for unbelievers. But for believers, we get the gift of God. The Christmas present had given us. Came down here to save us. Emmanuel. We get Jesus. Under eternal life. Verse 8. It says, even as I have seen. Eliphaz continues. Even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness. Reap the same. By the blast of God that perish. And by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion. And the voice of the fierce lion. And the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey. And the stout lions whelps his young are scattered abroad now a thing was secretly brought to me now he's going to have a uh, he's going to speak about a different scenario here uh, something that happened to him he said now a thing was secretly brought to me and my ears received a little thereof in thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before my eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? So Eliphaz has some kind of experience, some spiritual experience, supposedly here. And it makes his hair stand up. So he's got the goosebumps. And he's making decisions based on that experience. Know this, it can always be dangerous making decisions based on an experience. 
everything that happens in our life, whether it seems spiritual or not, everything must be checked with the word of God. Eliphaz, supposedly through this dream, is saying, can a mortal be more righteous than God? The point he's trying to say is not a perfect Job. None of us are perfect, Job. You can't be more righteous than God. You must have did something. You can't be perfect. Just admit it. You messed up. Okay, we've all done it. Admit it. Your pride is holding you back, Job. Of course, he's not right in this. This is what he's saying. In verse 18, he continues on. He says, Behold, and he's continuing his dream, speaking of God, that he says, God, he puts no trust in his servants. As angels, he charges with folly. Well, only the falling angels. Um, he says he puts no trust in his servants. That Well, that's not true. He's putting trust in Job, right? That's kind of the whole point here. He's, he's teaching the, the, the fallen angels. He's, he's teaching all of heaven in a lesson. Showing how, how Job loves him for him. For just being God. Not because of what he does for him. Verse 19. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Does not their excellency, which is in them, go away? They die even without wisdom. So again, supposedly had this vision. And he explains this vision to Job. And he's saying, hey, God is mad at you because of your pride. You got pride in your life. What he's saying is not true, though. If you're going to say, thus says the Lord, listen up. If you say that, you best be sure it really is from God. Now, of course, I believe in, I believe in visions. I believe in dreams. I believe in revelation from God because the Bible speaks of these things. I don't believe that it's a regular thing that happens with Christians. You see, you see, God gives spiritual manifestations when he wants to, to whom he wants to. But most of the time, the truth is dreams are just dreams. In this case, obviously what he heard wasn't from God because it's not true that God gave this message to give to Job. It's not true. Eliphaz is thinking, though, through this, I really believe that Alpha said, hey, I'm really going to encourage him. I'm a friend to him. This is going to be positive for him. When he actually, in all reality, he's doing the complete opposite. He's making him more miserable and probably a little bit angry here. Chapter 5. He continues. He says, Call now. If there be any that will answer you, and to which of the saints will you turn? For wrath kills the foolish man. And envy slays the silly one. I have seen the foolish taken root, but suddenly I curse his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. Now, this is horrible here. It seems to get worse and worse the more he talks. This is just mean here. It says his kids are crushed in the gate. A person that, 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 that that's in this pride and foolishness. Job just lost his family. 
This is supposed to be a comforting friend. There's no comfort in that. It's amazing that he says that. It continues on, verse 5. That whose harvest the hungry eats up and takes it even out of the thorns and the robber swallows up their substance. Although affliction comes not forth of the dust, neither does trouble spring out of the ground. He's saying trouble doesn't come from the ground. He's saying it doesn't, things don't just pop up out of thin air. It had to come from somewhere, Job. God brought this upon you for some reason is the implication here. Verse 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, unto God would I commit my cause. Can you believe this? He said, I would, I would commit my cause which does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. His advice to Job is, hey, Job, just seek God. Sounds good, right? Great advice. That's actually good advice to seek God. But he's saying as if Job isn't doing it. Job would say, hey, I am seeking God. God's just not responding. He's hiding from me. See, Job doesn't have a problem with God at all. His problem is his fear is that he fears that God has left him. He can't find him. But picture this, a man suffering. Or maybe we've we've done this in the past, maybe. Somebody's hurting, you say, Oh, just trust God, seek God. If it's a believer, know that they're already doing that. And what we're speaking is truth. But this here is not comforting whatsoever, and Job is doing this. They're saying it as if he's not doing so. Verse 10. Seek God who, uh, he's saying, seek God. And in verse 10, who gives rain upon the earth and sends waters upon the fields to set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappoints the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He takes the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the forward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as in the night. But he saves the poor from the sword, from the mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor has hope, and iniquity stops her mouth. He says, Behold, happy is the man whom God, whom God corrects. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. And that, that's actually great advice, to despise not the chastening of the Almighty. The chastening of the Lord is a good thing. We, that, that's, But that's not what the Lord is doing here. He's not chastening Job. See, there is a lot of truth in what Eliphaz is saying. And there's truth that we, we should want God to correct us when we need correcting. If he is actually correcting us, that's always a good thing because it's proof that we're a child of God. I mean... God, just like us parents, we'd, we'd only correct our own kids, right? But many of the things they're saying here, his friends, make some biblical sense, absolutely, but it has nothing to do with Job's situation. Verse 18, let's finish this chapter. For he makes sore and binds up. He wounds and his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles, 
And seven, there shall no evil touch thee. And you can see the Hebrew poetry there. It says, in famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hid from the scourge of the tongue. Neither shall you be afraid of destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh. Neither shall you be afraid of the, the beast of the earth, the animals, the wild animals here. It's for you shall be in league with the stones of the field. And the beast of the field shall be at peace with you. And you shall know that your tabernacle shall be in peace. And you shall visit your habitation and shall not sin. You shall know also that your seed shall be great. And your offspring as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in full age. Like as a shock of corn comes in his season. In other words, hey Job. Everything could just be straightened out for you. You can get peace back. You can have all these blessings. You just need to repent. Even the beasts of the field, Job, they'll come up to you. You won't have to be afraid of them. It'll be that, that peaceful. All you got to do is repent. But they're wrong here. Verse 27. Finishes up. Before Job's going to speak, which we'll talk about six chapter 6 next week. But finishes up in verse 27. says, lo this. We have searched it. So it is. Hear it. And know thou it for your good. It's for your good. In other words, Job, hey, listen up. We figured it all out. We talked about this. We figured it all out. So listen up. I want to touch on this a little bit. If anyone ever thinks they know it all, that we just need to listen, be very careful. A true believer, an elder, a pastor, they'll have humility in their life. And they'll, they'll at times humbly say, hey, there are things I just don't know. Somebody who speaks like this, oh, you got to be very careful. And said, hey, we figured it all out, so just listen. And they're saying, hey, Job, know that we have told you the truth. But it's not the truth at all. What, what he knew was correct, absolutely, for somebody that was in sin, but Job is not in sin here. You see, what they didn't know, they didn't know what the problem was. They're just assuming. It's great advice for certain circumstances they're giving, but not using it, and you're not using it in the right circumstances. See, Job doesn't need any human counseling. And actually, I'm not a big fan of any human counseling. Some people go to Christian counseling, and uh, I believe that should be done by the church. Uh, to go to some Christian counselor or, or any counselor that you don't have a relationship with, I definitely don't recommend anybody that's not a Christian counselor, but you got people in your church that are designed there for a reason, to, to, to hold each other up and, and to, to, to love upon each other with certain gifts. Job didn't need any human counseling. All he needs is an encounter with God, and he's going to get that. That will come later, as he's got to be going faith right now. But uh, all the stuff that happens, he does not curse God. So we'll finish there. We'll pick up again next week. Hope you guys have a great Christmas. 
and remembering, of course, Jesus is the reason for the season. But enjoy all the things that happen. The gifts, if there's gifts, enjoy it. You've got Christmas tree, Christmas lights, enjoy it. Even Santa Claus, there's things going on with Santa, enjoy it. Okay? Enjoy all the blessings. Yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. But be a light in your community. As far as Santa Claus goes, Santa's, I, I, I love Santa Claus. He was a great saint. He did a lot of good things. And it's, some, and it's something to be celebrated. But Christmas is all about, of course, Jesus' birth. Coming here to give us a gift. A gift that we don't deserve. But he loves us. So he sent his son, his only begotten son, that if we just believe in him, that's what, not just an intellectual belief, a belief with the intent to obey. We choose to make him Lord, master, boss. If we just do that, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he promises that as we trust in him and grow in him, There'll be a peace that comes into your life that no matter what the circumstance is in, we can rely on his strength and have peace in it. So know that Jesus loves you. He was committed to you on the cross. So the only reasonable thing is for us to be committed to him. Keep staying steadfast in your walk with him. And we'll see you all next week on the Steadfast Podcast. Merry Christmas.